Can anyone overcome the team Jumbo Visma dominance this year? No. Does Remco Evenepoel's collapse change how you see him as a rider towards future Grand Tours? No. Will Jonas Vingigo and Primus Roglic allow Sepp Kuss to win La Vuelta? Yes. Will Remco Evenepoel win another stage? Yes. I've got the sparse, the sickness. There's the twins in my brain. The Eagle hasn't landed yet, but with only six stages to go, Sepkus has a real shot at winning this year's Vuelta. Remco Evenepoel is no longer a threat to the Jumbo Bees, and Juan Ayuso has quite a bit of time to make up. If Kuss cracks, the Danish fish packer and the Slovenian ski jumper are ready to swoop up the GC. Uh, I am joined again today uh, by two domestiques. Uh, welcome, Dietrich and Yves. Good evening. Well, the last week we had a, quite a big guest on the podcast with Sepp Kuss. Um, this week is just us. Sorry for the, the new audience who <laughs> were hoping for another big interview. <laughs> just us this week um yeah uh, how did you guys experience the second week of racing in love Welta? tough but interesting the gc fights were interesting except for the weekend and the battle for the stage wins and breaks were quite entertaining as well so it was an interesting week a nice week um with some surprises, with some disappointment, disappointments, but overall, it's a casual second week in a Grand Tour in the Vuelta, so yeah, can't complain. Peter, what about you? Oh, some could say that the Vuelta is a bit over now, but I still don't know who's going to win, although there are three of the same team uh, on the podium for the moment. So it's still uh, an exciting Vuelta. Juan Ayuso has said to uh, that he's going all in. Uh, he, he would rather finish eighth and have tried to win or podium the Vuelta than finish fourth and doing nothing. And that's an amazing mindset, I think. Definitely. Uh, before we start the stage reviews, uh, I just quickly want to go over the, the current GC. Um, so. In first place, of course, we have Sepp Kuss. Uh, second place, Primus Roglic at 1 minute 37. Third place, uh, Vingugo at 1.44. So that makes a, a Jumbo Visma 1.23. Uh, and then Juan Ayuso at 2.37. Enric Mas at 3 minutes and 6. Marc Soler at 3 minutes and 10. Uh, Mikel Landa at 4.12. Uh, Vlasov at 5.02. Ed Brooks at 5.30. And Almeida at 8.39. Any Conclusions that we want to make from that already. Uite Brooks is yeah, wanted to say a, the same. A diamond. The guy yeah. he smiles when the when the stage is finished. He smiles when they have to start. He's just enjoying himself on the bike. And I saw an article of him today on the rest day saying he really likes to race in Spain. It feels like racing with the juniors juniors still just attacking race style going all out every single day and he still still feels quite fresh he says 
but some we'll parts are how. not feeling very fresh of him i think because he's we'll suffering quite a bit with the yeah, yeah yeah of course but it's lovely to see he's only 20 years old i think mm-hmm. and the way he has been ridden this filter till now is exceptional he's has been beating his team leader over and over and over again um so yeah he's a future superstar maybe is he the same age as Ayuso or one year younger I believe he's the same age younger. they're both 20 right now but is there uh, Ayuso is end 2002 and uh Eidebrux is begin 2003 same year as me that's why I know that we have a uh, someone of the same age as uh Jan Eidebrux on the podcast yeah. interesting that's crazy. I I still feel so young, and the guys in the top ten of the Velta, it's insane. Like I know we were talking about it in the in the Velta preview, and I said top ten and maybe top five, I think uh, about him. And then I got some strange looks, but this is like the thing that Uitebroeks does best. He has that amazing fatigue resistance. Like nobody is going to say I still feel fresh on the second rest day. And the guy, 20 years old, still says I'm st- I still feel fresh. That's insane. Definitely. Uh, let's start off with stage 10. It's actually uh, a stage that Etterbrooks probably uh, did the least good in of the GC guys. He lost quite a bit of time there. Uh, and that's what's causing his teammate, uh, Alexander Vlasov, to actually still be ahead of him in the GC because Vlasov actually rode quite a good TT. Uh, of course, the yeah, stage very. Uh, won by Philip Pagana, uh, who was completely unbeatable uh, on this course. Um, I think in in our group, the the picks were quite split evenly between Ghana and Evenepoel. Uh, but the way that uh, Ghana did that course was just incredible. Like the the speed was it? Over, it was over fifty six kilometers. It yeah, was fifty six flat. So that's insane. <laughs> And there is a little uh, a little hill on the parkour as well. It it wasn't a lot, uh, but it was a, a rhythm breaker. Just had to went down a couple of gears to keep it turning and he just averaged just fifty six Ks an hour. Yeah. Just let that sink in for a moment. Fifty six on a bike, two legs, mm-hmm. a head, and just the head between the arms and push those pedals. Insane. Definitely. Um, for the the rest of the the results, it was kind of a just a GC day. Uh, no other, uh, except with the exception for uh, Mattia Cataneo, I think no other TT specialists uh, were really up there. I, I was quite disappointed by uh, Stefan Bissiger, who only finished eleventh uh, at uh, what was it, one minute nineteen. Uh, He's very you... bad the last months. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't uh, know what's going on I... with him. I really like him, but he's really not going yet. I think Edri Harelbeke. I don't know which classic, but he crashed very hard, broke his hip, I think, came back in Swiss, I think, and since then he's just been been struggling. He's one of my favorite riders, but and he's also never going on altitude. Looks, yeah, he's now also worse than he normally is, but I also feel like he's behind on on training and innovating and stuff. I think there's 
that a guy already has a nice Palmares, but I think there's a lot left in the in the guy that's untapped for the moment. So you you say AF Education is opposed as a team that's not that professional or doesn't have a very professional approach, or is it just Stefan himself who doesn't like to do altitude camps, etc.? EF isn't uh, the most professional team, but they also definitely aren't the worst. And so, yeah, it's. it's I mean, their yeah, budget is definitely strange. one of the lower ends in the World Tour. Um, but still, I think uh, with a talent like Stefan Bisker, when he came into the World Tour as a TT guy, like, people had really high expectations from him. Um, I think this year they're they're not really coming up, but well. Maybe just, he just didn't have it in him after 10 days of the Vuelta. Uh, also before the Vuelta. And the guy, uh, b- uh, by the way, also has it in him to become a, a classics rider. Like he should be able to top 10 to and stuff like that. But it's just not happening. So, yeah, strange. I, I remember the guy from the Tour de France last year um, with the opening TT in Denmark, if I uh, recall correctly. With uh, Vauders mentioning multiple times, they looked at the weather extremely close by and to see when it would rain. And then we're going to put Pisiger early on the start list. So he he has a dry road, but then he was a guy who crashed twice or three times. uh, Twice, I think. So that was, Uh yeah, it was quite funny actually to know because Vauders was talking about it for days that basically would take the yellow jersey and everything was planned perfectly with the wind tunnel etc yeah bye after four corners <laughs> amazing new Victoria tires <laughs> marketing <laughs> fail <laughs> all right um well like i said before uh Kianet brooks lost quite a bit of time here compared to the other gc guys uh he came in two minutes and 36 or 35 seconds after filippo gana which um, I think he lost about uh, two minutes and 20 on Remco Evenepoel. Is this something that he'll be able to improve on towards the future and, and enough uh, yeah, so that he can slot in around the other GC guys? He normally is a is very good TT rider uh, for a climber, definitely. So maybe uh, it had to do with his uh, saddle sore. Yeah, sitting on a TT bike already is horrible. And if you're... <laughs> yeah. If you have a saddle sore, it's even more horrible. But two minutes, still, that's that's a lot. Uh, very strange because Kion is a is a very good time trialist. Uh, I think he won a second year junior de Belgium championships time trial against yeah not climbers like heavy guys, and he blasted them away on the flat. So yeah, it's very strange to be honest. How is Bora? Um, looking at time trials, we saw Vlasov riding an exceptionally strong time trial. But how are how is Bora approaching the time trial aspect of cycling? We know Jumbo and Ineos is working is working very uh, much about everything that has to do with aerodynamics. What about Bora? I really like the performance team of of Bora. I think they do a really good job. I also think they, uh, in training, they get 
close to the maximum out of riders. Uh, nice TT positions. So I don't think that's the problem. They also are on the shift. They have the good helmets. So don't think it don't think it has anything to do with that. Uh, but I did see that Eitebrooks didn't have custom extensions. But yeah, that doesn't make up two minutes. That's just like a small part. Um, let's go to stage 11, um, which is breakaway stage won by Jesus Herrada. And to me, the one thing that stood out about this stage is Green Thomas going to the break uh, together with Philip Ogana and actually not being able to win. Um, That's a tactical error by Ineos, one of yeah. the many. Um, in my opinion, Ghana was the guy they had to go for. When you saw the amount of work he did before the climb, and then the first part of the climb just completely obliterating that front group with only a couple of the riders able to follow the wheels, and it really was coming stage. back. <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't the stage for Thomas because it was flat till the final climb, so everybody was quite fresh at the foot of that climb, and Thomas isn't. Kind of explosive, not an, an explosive climber. So, yeah, stupid choice by Ineos, but that sprint by Herada was insane. Even the barriers flew away. So, <laughs> yeah, but Ineos easily could have bet on two horses, sent Ghana solo before the last climb. G can sit in the wheels if, uh, yeah, Ghana is up front, he can win. G can sit in the wheels. It's Literally the same as when Ghana's riding at the front. Uh, if Ghana fails, G can go for it. If Ghana wins, G could even become second. That would be the perfect situa- situation, but they didn't uh, play it out, which uh, is a pity. Yeah, I just find it like very odd to see uh, a Grain Thomas, who's obviously crashed a couple of times in this world, to, uh, but going to the break and like not even podiuming, he he finished fifth uh, in in a sprint. Um, it used to be that Grant Thomas actually had quite a considerable uphill yeah. sprint. That's uh, how he won on Alpe d'Huez, uh, just sprinting away from all the other GC guys. But here, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's quite a a sad sight to see a little bit, in my opinion. He will try some more attempts in the last week to get in the break and win a stage, but I fear his legs just aren't there anymore due to the crashes and the bad luck he's had. The morale will be quite low as well. He's a fighter. He probably won't quit. He won't abandon, but I don't see him win a stage. Should he abandon? No. Oh, I don't know. No. It's like his probably his last week of racing um, this season. Then he's going into the yeah. into the winter. So just take that last week with you and build up towards the next season. Uh, in his podcast, he actually said uh, he he did think about abandoning after uh, the second or third crash. Uh, but then he thought to himself, uh, well, if I abandon now, I'll have to do the tour of Croatia or something, and I don't want to do that. <laughs> so he kept on riding. Um, <laughs> I, thought was, 
<laughs> so is there anything uh, else uh, about this stage that you want to talk about? Because to me, this was kind of a, a yeah, transient stage. That's not quite, that much quite weird to see the GC group just neutralizing the race on that final ascent. It was like, yeah, there was a tough stage coming up uh, the next days, but it was just like, well, let's just hit here, roll up to the top. And yeah, it was quite weird. I expected a little bit of fireworks. Kian tried, but he just got like two seconds where he was even caught uh, right before the line. So it was quite disappointing. There's also a very large GC group that got to the line. Yeah. Uh, not much happening there. Nope. All right. Stage 12, we have another sprint stage. Uh, this one not won by Caden Groves, um, but actually Sebastian Molano, uh, who I think we did mention in the preview as one of the better sprinters here. Um, anything you want to say about this sprint? I don't MVP, remember it, to be honest. Rui Oliveira, the way he did the lead-out for Molano, just popping out of the wheel at exactly the right moment. The last man for Groves just couldn't speed up enough to launch a sprint, and Rui Oliveira just flew past the Alpecin train, and Molano just had to yeah, finish it off. It was an impressive teamwork, actually. And it was lovely to see after the finish, Molano immediately looking, where is my teammate, where is Oliveira? He was really uh, happy and he was quite emotional about that win. So nice winner, deserved win. Yeah, also Oliveira even came in fourth as well. Uh, sort of shows what kind of speed he was taking and that uh, basically all the other sprinters couldn't pass him either. Um, great. Well, Dieter Groves. What's the problem with Alberto? <laughs> Positioning. Always, always has been the problem, always will be the problem. You said in the Vuelta preview he's going to clap everyone because he's the fastest and his best position is 7th, 6th, I don't know. He still, didn't even smell still, the podium. So. True, true. Still convinced he's the fastest. But yeah, if you're not there to sprint... We saw him do a lot of, yeah, typical Dainese coming out of position 250 and still getting fifth or, so, or something. That's, yeah, typical like that. It's, he does an amazing sprint, but like you say, for place 10 or something. Yeah. And I, his, I also wanted to. Is it his fault or the team slash leadout that isn't strong enough to compete for the win? Both. Uh, Dainese really can't position himself and the team isn't yeah but the team is also a bit decapitated by crashes um sean flynn is doing an amazing job on his own so props to that guy but dynasius uh, is shared at positioning uh the team doesn't have a yeah doesn't yeah isn't a good sport team for dynasia like if you put dynasia in a in the good old school uh, quick step train, you have a lethal combo. Yeah, so he, put him in the middle of the front and Van der Poel, and he's just winning it all. <laughs> yeah, no, it's he, not true. He's he a sprint. Follow Van Artsfield. That's actually true. Well, he's a sprinter who really needs to be positioned. 
Mm-hmm. You have sprinters who can position themselves, yeah, like Van Aert, but yeah, he really needs someone to to position him. So that's yeah, we very weak points as a sprinter. <laughs> Is that something you can train or improve on towards the future for him? Yeah, both technical skills to position yourself and a bigger motor like the last five minutes that you don't suffer that much because he also complained about that or two things you can train. You can train your technical skills. You can yeah train to get better so you don't yeah are already dead before the, before the sprint. So you could easily improve that in my opinion. But DSM is DSM. <laughs> To me, it looked a little bit more like a, a mental thing, like always just guys getting uh, like flying past and you just sort of get swamped out, like doesn't uh, try to stop them. Like he's not fighting for his place as much. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I and I consider it more a mental problem. And then he's doing a stupid dive bomb and he loses 20 or 25 places and then it's over. Yeah. But it's sad to see yeah. because I had a... A pick, I picked him twice, I think, because Dieter was so, he believed so much in Alberto, but still, that's the reason I'm not at the front of the domestic picks game. Thank you, Dieter. And that's the reason why there you is, lost. Uh, <laughs> there is still uh, one opportunity left. No, two for spinners. Two, yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Sure. All right. Let's go on to stage 13. Um Oh, the queen one, stage. One thing, oh. one yes. thing about the previous stage, uh, if Caden Groves didn't shot of his shot out of his pedal, he would have easily won. You know what they say: if your mom was <laughs> blah blah blah, you wouldn't be born. Now, but so. like the guy <laughs> properly shot of his pedal, he <laughs> even needed some time to find his pedal back. He like flapped twice besides it and then f- uh, found his pedal again, started sprinting again and went like 10 kilometers. Now we're faster than, than Milano again. So yeah, obviously was the strongest sprinter in my opinion, but Milano and uh, won it fair and square and Oliveira did an amazing job, like uh, we already said. Keeping your feet on your pedals is part of sprinting. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, and positioning yourself is too. <laughs> All right, stage thirteen, the queen stage, or likely queen stage of this welter, with uh, uh, about 135 kilometers. I don't have the profile next to me, so I don't know. It was a heavy stage with uh, four categorized climbs. Uh, finish on top of the Turmala. Yes. Yep. Uh, and uh, the Obisque and the uh, Splon- uh, Spandel. Spandel. Yeah. yeah. It's, I remember, it's definitely hard. Climb. I remember doing that live, and it was uh, the preparation towards the start was already quite tense. Um, all the teams were on the rollers uh, warming up because it was a, a 4.4 kilometer uphill start, um, only 5.4%. But doing that with cold legs would completely uh, screw your stage. And yeah. like we predicted already, a breakaway didn't get away um, at the early slopes. And then there was a long descent toward the obisque, where like besides my beloved Eduardo Sepulveda, nobody tried to uh, get in a breakaway. And then of the 
or basically the field completely yeah went into pieces and if I recall correctly Ramco already collapsed on Cold Obisk. Yep. Yep. Almeida as well. Yeah, Almeida. And that's, uh, yeah. I think Almeida was the, the first one I heard that uh, he went, he cracked. Um, yep. But in the end, he kind of stabilized himself. Uh, Lenny Moschinas <laughs> also cracked on the Obisk uh, the first time. He managed to come back, uh, but cracked again later on. Uh, but of course, the big one, uh, even Poole cracked and i think uh over the top he already lost a minute and a half uh in the descent oh. they kind of kept that stable uh but on the cold spandel it completely exploded went up to eight minutes and then i think the team said let's pull the plug and uh go for other goals uh, in the rest of this vuelta um later on on the uh, tourmale uh we saw all a display from Jumbo Visma. Um, I don't that, think I've seen anything like it in recent years on a mountaintop finish. Uh, that one leader goes, another goes, another tries to go, and they just finish one, two, three like that. But that domestic work, especially Hasing did in that yeah. stage, that was extraordinary he just he was dropped on the spandel if i recall correctly in the mm-hmm. descent he came back and then he rode the whole valley and the first kilometers of the tourmale at a fast pace because he cracked uh, uh, the martinez and others in that leading group um, leading dc group before pulling off and then kelderman finished it off but in comparison to hasing kelderman kelderman his Work at the front was quite a lot less than Hasink. So Hasink is older and he has a lot of experience, but that guy, I don't know the numbers he's, he pushed that stage, but it should have, it should be one of his best stages in mm-hmm. his career, I think. Yeah, I think uh, uh, I heard. No, go ahead, Dieter. Yeah, Hasink's power files um, on the days he worked really hard are insane. Like, five and a half normalized power per kilo all day that's like the highest i have uh, an extension uh source for strava and the highest mark you can get is world tour and casing gets that yeah every hard day he's he's so underrated i think like people think he's just a domestique no he's <laughs> a very high level domestique you don't do that as a mad rider is a very very good ride mm-hmm. uh, i heard some uh on a belgian podcast false but uh they were saying that oh case is gonna do uh, a five minute pull and uh, or five second pull and then pull over and that's his day done um yeah, but yeah. I, I think what he showed on say 13 it's insane i think he was on the front for 80 kilometers on a 130 yeah. kilometer stage he absolutely work it was well kudos to him really he's what a domestic has to be within a team like Shumbo. you have two right now three leaders who are protected the best way possible just imagine you are Jonas Primoz and Sepp and you just had to stay in the wheel of your teammates on the obisk on the spandel and you're here over the intercom 
Uh, Almeida dropped. Evenepoel dropped. Danny Martinez dropped. Uh, 80% of the peloton struggling to stay within the time limit, for example. And then you know, as a leader of that team, you still have some juice left in the legs to attack, like Jonas did. And then a couple of kilometers later, Kusay is by and out. And then it's Rulish by and the others are just sitting there. Okay, that's it. Jumbo Visma is too dominant. Is too dumb. Yeah, too dominant in this field. What strikes me as well is that with Sepp personnel being a protected leader as well, they're actually down domestique. Because normally in every other Grand Tour, he would be the final domestique. But now mm-hmm. actually the other domestiques have to do their job a lot uh, earlier and a lot longer uh, because they, they can't count on Sepp Kuss as being a domestique anymore. He actually also needs to be protected. Um, yeah, so Jonas Fingergaard wins the stage. Uh, did you want to say something? Yeah, I just quickly uh, opened Hissing's power file of Tumale. 323 watts all day. That's four and a half watts per kilo for the guy all day. Uh, 380 normalized power. That's 5.3 watts per kilo, I think. It doesn't say, but I think it's something like that all day. Yeah, yeah. crazy. The man had a very good day then. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah, well, and then Jonas went for it uh, quite early, I think. Uh, Eight case mm-hmm. or seven and a half case to go to the top. But I had a feeling earlier in the stage that I don't know. It's like Primoz wants to win the Vuelta, but Jonas wants to win it as well. But they both mm-hmm. don't That's want true. to destroy Kus because they all want to gift it to him because after all his domestic work he did in the previous Grand Tours, how lovely would it be that he wins it himself? But then I had the feeling on the before they started the Tourmalet, it's Orionas or Primos who has to attack first if they want to have the protected role within the team. And they didn't really cooperate with each other, those two main leaders in within Jumbo Visma. So I don't I don't know how that team dynamics will play out in the last week. They have a healthy buffer towards Fort Ayuso. When we're coming into the penultimate stage of this Vuelta, yeah, I don't know. Some they always say, "What is Salmon Venin?" Hashtag Salmon Venin is their mm-hmm. uh, quote. I wonder how happy Primoz will be if Jonas wins, um, and how happy Jonas will be if Primoz wins. Uh, I think the perfect solution is neither of them wins and Sepkus wins. Um, but yeah, I definitely see that as well. <laughs> <laughs> no one wins. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they'll want that. Um, but of course, uh, Jonas dedicated the stage to uh, the birthday of his daughter that day. So I do think that that was perhaps something that was said in the bus that morning that Jonas would want to go for a stage win uh, for his daughter, daughter's birthday. Uh, and that that's why they, he was allowed to go or uh, that they weren't uh, doing counterattacks right away. Jonas was the only one who could have pulled off what he pulled off, though. Like Roglic isn't going to solo from 8Ks out on Tourmalet. 
And Kuz, I also, yeah, maybe. He's in crazy for Normally, I would say no. Yeah. But the stupid spectator, once again, who completely demolishes yeah. the momentum of Sepp. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, and I, but hap- uh, luckily, uh, Kuz could uh, turn his mechanical motor on for the second time, according <laughs> to, uh, to Pinot. So, happy uh, his button worked twice, so that's good. Dieter, hop on DMs, uh, send a message, message to Jérôme Pinot and just say the French team have to train a little bit more and a little yeah. bit smart and don't exactly say yeah. others are doping mechanically, please. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Like, Those bikes get yeah, checked every day, so it, it's ridiculous to make accusations like that, but whatever. Um, yeah. So yeah, the the Jumbo guys finished one two three on this stage and uh, marked their one two three in the GC. Um, personally, I don't see uh, anyone. Like, I don't see a use of taking it from them anymore. Uh, th- those one two threes. I think the order might switch still, um, but I think that we have our podium. Mm. 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 Are you so? On this, yeah, I thought you were talking about the win. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, it's very tough. For, I use, yeah, a lot of crazy shit sh- uh, had, uh, is going to uh, need to happen to get that, sadly. Um, but I think there's a, a fair chance that I use a still guns on the podium. Like, I think a, a li- little less than a minute on Ruglic, uh, behind Ruglic and Vingegaard. No, little. Less than a minute behind Vingegaard, more than a minute behind Roglic, I think. But that's nothing on on Langlier, and especially Roglic, Roglic has the biggest chance to fall off the podium, I think. I see a lot of people underestimating Roglic, uh, to be honest. The guy was suffering on the Tourmalet. Um, he suffered in other stages as well, but he's able to stick to the the main favorites or even right away a little bit um, from Ayuso as well in that um, Tourmalet stage. So the guy is not bad and if Jumbo decides to go for Kuz, they might have to ride a little bit less offensively, which creates maybe a final K um, attack chance for Roglic. so I, I don't know. Um, a lot of people are underestimating Roglic, I think. And I, yeah. I like Ayuso as well. The guy is extremely talented. He's very strong, but he just doesn't give me the feeling he has that extra to drop to Jumbo's. Um, but Aguilera is a different cup of tea than Tourmalet. Like Tourmalet is still a, a draft climb. Um, for yeah, Ali. <laughs> no, I've, I've done too. Oh I didn't feel any draft. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, yeah, they are going like the top guys are going 23 kilometers an hour for a big part of the climb. Still a lot of draft. Um, and then Roglic attacks the last kilometer, but that's like Roglic's signature move. Even if the guy's half dead, he can still do that. That's Typical for a anaerobically cyclist, but um, 
Online Gliro, it's yeah, that's not that's not a draft climb. Um that's proper properly honest. Um and yeah. Roglic has yeah. been stronger as I expected. I have to admit that definitely in the TT. But Ayuso can drop Roglic, I think. But who's gonna make the race hard towards the Angliru? UAE? Movistar? Uh, Movistar does, if Movistar does that, they can just uh, bury themselves and not come uh, out of the ground again because Moss isn't Mo- strong enough. Uh, Mo- and if you Mo- say still Darty, then really, I'm. <laughs> I didn't didn't understand that. Did you say? If you say AF is gonna make it hard for Carty, uh, who's always pretty strong on Angliru. Then we're, we're quitting this chat. <laughs> Mas is still in, still has a shot to get on the podium, I think. That's, yeah, he, he's uh, close in time. He really is close in time. A little bit less than 130 he has to close on Vinigar. I don't think that's happening. Come on. I think Not he's going to But Roglic? No. So you say Roglic is gonna crack completely? Yeah, I don't know where you're good. I don't from, say it's. It, I think it it could happen. You, yeah. I, it, I just think the podium isn't that sure yet. You, I, right. it, right. I you want to keep it an open race? That's fine. That's fine. Let, let's uh, send a DM to Bostian on Twitter and mention yeah. Dieter is uh, saying Roglic yeah. is gonna fail. And then uh, it's the guy thinks that the guy thinks um, Roglic is still winning the Vuelta, so let him go in his pink bubble. But that's still a possibility, though. I mean, it's possible. Ah, He's right now in second place. You, so it's Ayuso Ormas getting on the podium isn't possible, but Roglic winning the Vuelta is possible. That's it's still possible. a possibility. <laughs> Kus breaks. He's never been in this position in the in the last week of a Grand Tour. Also possible. To, yeah. So and then Roglic is the first jumbo jumbo after Kus to step up, step up. Yeah. So and at and at the end of the third week it will be the second jumbo after Jonas. All right. Uh, enough talk about uh, your favorite riders. It's time to talk about my favorite rider again, Remco Evenepoel. Uh, he lost uh, 27 yeah. minutes uh, at, in the stage, uh, completely cracked. Uh, I personally thought he was sick. Uh, turns out he wasn't. It was just a complete off day, uh, one of which I haven't yeah. seen many yet. Um, you mentioned that um, you won't see him differently uh, as a GSC rider towards future Grand Tours. Uh, but I think that he does need to be able to figure out what caused this. Yeah, yeah. completely agree with the fact they have to figure out what went wrong um, in the terminal stage. But I hate seeing the news articles and newspapers um, the evening of that stage and the morning after. Um, mm-hmm. All the it's actually abuse um, towards Remco. Um, the guy is only 22 or 23 years old. Yes, he had a bad day. He lost uh, a little bit less than 30 minutes. But the guy, his palmares is insane. He won a Grand Tour last year. Now he had a bad day and he cracked. In the Giro earlier this year, he was in a very good shape. 
but COVID got him. So he had to abandon there. Who knows what would have happened if he didn't get infected by COVID. Uh, the team has to investigate what went wrong, but does it change my opinion about Remco and the future to the France participation? No. If he's in shape and prepares fully towards the Grand Tour, he's able to compete for that win. Everybody is talking about the, the bad day Remco had, but Pogacar had exactly the same in the Tour mm -hmm. due to an injury on the wrist in the Liège. But it's the same. And still Remco is completely destroyed in the media and Pogacar wasn't. That's the biggest one, I think, with you said the preparation like the guy trains for short bursts uh the glasgow uh parkour you come and he tried to change that up to long climbs in, in five weeks i think or not even that how long was it for three weeks three or four weeks yeah, yeah three since the tt he, yeah that's that's nothing like he also said so himself but uh he just Yes, think about it in the in the future. Uh, it will be easier if he rides the tour in a in a normal year, not with the uh, world champs on a on a crazy place. He can just do the classics, prepare uh, as three mo three months of preparation before the tour will be a lot easier. Like it's just um, almost impossible to properly prepare a, a grand tour with a with two world championships three and four weeks before uh, i think we already said that before the before the vuelta i just think it's that to be honest and, yeah. i just don't understand i have been laughing with remco as well uh, a lot. but just the banter with the remco even for hype train etc but the guy is so talented and still people always find a reason to hate him to dislike him he won the rainbow jersey on the road in the time trial. Liège twice. The Vuelta last year and still yeah. he's not liked. And he worked on his personal attitude towards the media as well. He In the first year he was a little bit of an asshole, let's be honest. Um, yeah, true. But now he had some media training. And he, when he talks, he's often right. The team time trial, for mm -hmm. example, he was right. Mm -hmm. I think it also helps yeah, he, that now he does his his own media a little bit as well. Uh, you have the his own YouTube channel, which is very open in, uh, and also a really nice guy. Uh, more interviews with uh, alternative media like Lantern Rouge, um, and then. Uh, I think the the Rainbow Remco show uh, that we have in Belgium on uh, on TV that's also showing him as a really likable guy. But I, I think what I wanted to go to is his, his mentality. Like yes, he cracks here, but the next day he he shows what he's all about and says, you know, I might have cracked yesterday, but I'm gonna fight back. It's not gonna be for GC, but I'm gonna take out of this Grand Tour whatever I can get. Uh, and he did that perfectly in stage 14. Uh, basically, yeah. from the gun, trying to get in the breakaway. I didn't see that stage. I just uh, opened Dom's 
no, there wasn't domestic life. I owned Cycling Pro um, and just saw um, there were 10 messages and seven of them contained Remco Evenepoel trying to get in the break. Is in the break, caught, Remco Evenepoel tries again. And then I looked at the results uh, in the evening and I saw he won one minute before Bardet and the third was six minutes and a half behind that. So, yeah, pretty impressive. But as I said, I didn't see the stage, so I don't know how it played out. Uh, yeah. Remco completely rode Bardet to shambles, who isn't uh, too shabby of a rider either. Like the guy didn't pull on the on the mountains, but did take little pulls. They it definitely wasn't 50-50. Like for 80-20, I think. Uh, and Bardet was completely fucked. He had cramps. Uh, yeah, <laughs> crazy. Even the was was so strong from losing 27 minutes to being back in. in Top shape the day after, yeah. And yeah, amazing I think, uh, mentality. I think Bardet also said that uh, when he was riding behind Renko, he basically had to push the same watts as if he was riding on the front because of how aero uh, Renko was being and how yeah. fast he was accelerating out of every corner. Um, so he basically got drained just from sitting in his wheel. Um, I think that's the story we've heard before from. Uh, Victor Campanats as well in previous races. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the the stage was a, a big breakaway day. Uh, I think there were 24 guys in the break, and then at about 80 kilometers to go, um, but then and Remco just went for it, uh, and they basically decided to work together uh, until the last climb, and then figure out who was the strongest. Um, I think they definitely did that. Uh, afterwards, uh, even Pool went to the bus of DSM. Uh, to give uh, Barde uh, a jersey and the the trophy for the day, I thought that was a a very beautiful moment because I think Remco respects the the person that uh, Romain Barde is a lot. Uh, well, Romain Barde is a very respectable person in general, so I really appreciate yeah. that gesture as well. Yes. Sir. Um, when I logged on or on the X feed, I saw a tweet from your personal account, Bram, about yep. uh, the bidon um, stuff. Um, can you explain a little bit what happened? Uh, so in the uh, second to last climb, uh, there was, uh, I think it was four or five kilometers from the top. Um, but that was out of water. Uh, I don't think the DSM cars were behind him yet uh, because the gap was not big enough uh, and uh, Bardet signaled towards one of the uh, Jumbo Visma soigneurs uh, to get a bottle uh, but he stepped back 100 meters further there is another Jumbo Visma soigneur Bardet again asks for a bottle but he also steps back and that was a little bit of a frustrating, frustrating moment for me because uh, well I'm a, a big Bardet fan uh, I think he's he deserves massive respect, but then to see like people withholding water from someone who is riding up a big mountain at 30 degrees because it was a very hot day and not getting a bottle. Oh, that just made my blood boil, to be honest. Uh, it, it seemed so un- inhumane. I know there are reasons why they don't do it. All of their riders still have to come. 
Uh, they don't want to miss the opportunity to be able to give oh. their own writers a bottle. I fully understand that. But at that moment, I was just so angry. Like, he doesn't have any bottles. He's riding up a mountain, 30 degrees. Give the guy some water, please. And yeah, that but was my rant. It's weird because now they didn't give it to him, but we see on multiple occasions, uh, one years of different teams are giving it to others. So why not now? As you said, there were three swineers at a very close range, close range. So how much bottles they can hold? Uh, four, uh, mm-hmm. maybe. So four, four times three is twelve. It's not a that difficult mod, but. I know in a pro peloton in a team selection there are 12, 12 riders. So it's still quite weird um, why they didn't give it to him. I understand it a little bit as well. But like it's yeah, a split no. second decision for them. Uh, they just see suddenly a rider that isn't one of theirs holding their hand trying to ask for a bottle and they split second have to make decision to give or to step back. Uh, they've all done the same thing. Uh, that means that two minutes later the camera's back on Barda and he had a bottle. So it ended up being fine. Um, but it's just, this isn't the first time that this sort of stuff uh, is seen on a camera with Jumbo Vismas one years. It seems to be a thing. But of course, these guys are volunteers, might not always be the same guys, but it just seems a little bit of a PR issue. It looks so much better if they just give a bottle and they, they seem like heroes for. Uh, giving bottles across teams. But it was easy win for them, but they failed. I have to agree uh, on that one, to be honest. I also want to give a quick shout-out to the third writer, uh, our young wolf, Leonard Van Eisfeld, uh, third place in the stage in a, his first Grand Tour. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, like, after Remco and uh, Bardet, absolutely stunning performance. While he got sick in the, in the second week, he recovered of that mid Grand Tour, <laughs> then you are pretty talented. <laughs> Not gonna lie. Plenty more to see from him in the in the coming week and definitely the coming years. Uh, really good and stuff. He's, he's a very hard worker. He is. Uh, he was on on his own on altitude like two months uh, for two months. Uh, also during the. Uh, the nasal spray thing. Uh, he was at his own on altitude, like the guys as a head of metal. Like he has the the right mindset to become a, a really a really big one. That's why he's one of our young wolves. All right, on to stage 15. Then another breakaway stage, another attack from Remco Evenepoel straight from the gun. Uh, he clearly wanted to be in this breakaway again. Uh, he did everything he could to do it, and he was in it. Um, but it was a, a very big break, um, and in the end, uh, Rikosha was was he the smartest or the strongest? The smartest. Smartest. Yeah. Rikosha does have a little bit of a reputation for not being the most pleasant rider to be in a breakaway with, because he does have. Uh, very particular tactics, let's say. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, Remco was not strong enough or not recovered enough from his efforts the day before to try and work um, the win on this stage. But nonetheless, he, he finished fourth. 
the podium is Rui Costa, Leonard Kemna, who crashed uh, in the last descent and actually managed to come back due to some questionable tactics from uh, Buitrago and Costa. Um, but sadly didn't manage to, to win the sprint. But uh, I think Leonard Kemna won a lot of hearts that day as well. Uh, first yeah, attacking he- out of a chasing group, getting to that uh, Costa and Buitrago. And then attacking out of it, having a small gap, crashing, and then coming back to them. Yeah, it was very, very good to see, but sadly, no fairy tale ending. Maybe it was the he was the strongest in the sprint too, uh, because he went very early, uh, did a very good sprint. But yeah, Costa uh, could come out of the wheel, but. I think Kemna's sprint wasn't worse than than Costa's sprint. So very very impressive day uh, of Kemna. Definitely. All right. Remco is very strong again because he almost closed the gap on on Group One at, at the end and, and did like a sprint of 500 meters and nobody came over him. Yeah, some people were starting to compare a little bit to the uh, the Amstel Gold race uh, with Matteo van der Poel bring everyone back and then uh, going for the sprint. Yeah, it just didn't happen, but he came very close. He he, he closed yeah. his 30-second gap uh, up to two seconds. So, almost. Um, all right. For the last week, uh, what are your expectations? I use up the podium. To be expected? Um. <laughs> Seb Kuss taking his uh, first and only Grand Tour win. And only? That's an interesting addition. He, yeah, and only. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, and, and even a bull takes the KWM jersey home. Yeah, I do think that's become a very big goal of him now. Um, I'm also interested yeah. to see if he'll want to go for the points jersey. Uh, or if he can limit himself to the KOM jersey. Let's see how greedy well, he is. Grove still has 73 points in advantage with two sprint stages remaining. So I think Groves is quite safe if he's able to podium those sprint stages. Yeah, but I think that uh, Evenepoel closed like 60 points in two stages. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. If he, he's going to take an extra rest day tomorrow and then on Angliru, he might he will be in the break probably. Um, so yeah, probably. I think the point jersey is for uh, for Rose. Good, that's Solo. good for our domestic picks. Solo win in, in Madrid for uh, for even the pool and it's possible. <laughs> Just has to do that. That's the only only thing. <laughs> uh, one last question b- question before we end this podcast. Um, Dieter, how was it um, to record the first podcast podcast topless? <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> All of our uh, audience on the audio version is now asking, wait, what? <laughs> now they're going on to YouTube and they want to see Dieter uh, topless, but... He's a little bit shy. I'm positioned well. You can only see my head. <laughs> That's what you say. <laughs> All right. Well, only a week to go left in this welter. And um, 
well, it's going to be a cracker. But that's a wrap for today's Domestique Cycling Podcast. A big thank you to our audience for tuning in. If you enjoyed the episode, consider supporting us on Ko-Fi. And if you're on YouTube, hit subscribe and turn on notifications. We appreciate your support and look forward to seeing you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I've got the sparse, the sickness. There's the twins in my brain.